Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. I'm going to ask if you would stand just for the reading of the word. Uh, We don't recognize enough the word of God in this country anymore, and we don't have to do it all the time, but I think there's times to acknowledge Reading out of Luke chapter 2, at that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly awaiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Just the song we just sang actually, was just played, uh, leads into this. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you've prepared for all peoples. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword, Mary, will pierce your very soul. Father, as we examine your word this morning, I pray that your anointing would be upon your word. I pray that you'd open our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, we are around three weeks or so ago from, uh, from Christmas, which means Easter 2022 is right around the corner. And this is just amazing how the time has moved this rapidly through this whole year to realize now that we have bare weeks left in this time frame, I mean, it just seems like things are going quicker, 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 and quicker. Um, and our concept of, of time and our concept of speed has changed quite a bit as well, too, over the years, in fact. There was a study, in fact, that was done by Timex, the watch company, and asked people how long they'd be willing to wait before taking action in a variety of situations. And the researchers discovered that we'll consent to wait only this far, 13 seconds, before we honk at a car in front of us that stopped at a green light. For some of us, that's cut down to four seconds. 26 seconds before we shush people who are talking in a movie theater. 26 seconds also before we take the seat of someone who's walked away. 45 seconds before we ask someone who's talking too loud on a cell phone to keep it down. 13 minutes for a table at a restaurant. 20 minutes for a blind date to show up before we leave. And 20 minutes, this is pertinent, for the last person to show up for Thanksgiving dinner before we chow down. (laughs) We'll no longer wait for them. Our concept of time, our concept of 
waiting um, or being patient has accelerated profoundly in this country. And this is not just an opinion. I was talking to someone not too long ago who acknowledged that they had experienced sidewalk rage. Okay, now I know road rage, um, but this was sidewalk rage. They had walked regularly with a friend, and this friend is a slow walker. And so she was getting increasingly annoyed and frustrated that it's taking so long and was getting to the point of determining to never walk with this friend again because it was so enraging, the slowness of the pace. It's not just an imagination that she has, though. Slow drivers, slow internet, slow grocery lines, all this stuff drives us crazy today. Slow things drive us crazy because the fast pace of society, catch this, has warped our sense of of timing. Things that our great-great-grandparents would have um, found miraculously efficient now drive us around the bend. Patience is a virtue that's been vanquished in the Twitter age. There's a comedian who talks about, you know, the, the, the miracle of flight and yet how frustrated we get that it's going to take so long, you know, to get on the plane, get through the plane, the time travel and stuff, and say, really, you're upset that it takes you four and a half hours to fly to California, when just a few decades or centuries ago, you know, it would have taken you months to get there. Most of you would have died along the way. We, we get impatient. Society continues to pick up speed. In his book, Social Acceleration, Hartmut Rosa informs us that the speed of human movement from pre-modern times to now has increased by a factor of 100. The speed of communications has skyrocketed by a factor of 10 million. And data transmission has soared by a factor of around 10 billion, unless you have a limited plan, in which case then it may drop off at a certain time after a certain amount of things. Check the lawyers. A study found that even our walking speed, to my friend's issue, has increased by 10% since the 1990s. Everything has accelerated. Everything has moved along at such a pace. There are ships that are sitting off the coast of L.A., and we're frustrated because they're sitting there for months. And on those ships is our stuff. And we want our stuff. And we want it now. It's my money and I want it now, according to some of the commercials that are out there that work into our brain like a little worm. And so in this season, we're all accelerated in our expectations and accelerated in our actions and we go into a rage if it's going to take more than a few seconds. Getting irritated yet? (laughs) Some people who know me well know how irritating I can be. (laughs) Sometimes you just have to stop to hear the children cry. We pause. We get caught up. And especially in this season of time when it's supposed to be the season that we're, we're celebrating Christmas... We lose sight of it because of everything that's rushing around us. And we think, oh, that's just because we're no longer children. And when we were children, we had the awe and we had the expectation. And, and yeah, we looked forward to it for weeks. 
And yes, some of that was childlike expectation that maybe we can't fully grasp again. But if we're to be mature as individuals, and especially mature in faith, there are elements of that that perhaps we should recover in the process. One of the changes that's happened also is a drop-off in belief. There was a survey that asked respondents about their belief in four parts of the biblical Christmas story. That an angel heralded the birth of Christ, that it was a virgin birth, that wise men were guided uh, to Jesus by a star, and that he was placed in a manger. Only 57% of Americans believe in all four any longer. It's down from 65% in 2014. There's reasons for that. We'll discuss that at a later time. But there is a, a, a drop-off in what has been expected and what has been looked for as we proceed along. When we're talking about today and seeking a Savior, expectant. When we expect the arrival of a child, it makes the moment all the more beautiful. Next week, we're going to actually have, I think, a baby dedication. And it relates to a little bit of the story that we just talked about here. But Simeon and another woman named Anna, who's also part of this process, they had been waiting for decades. And prior to that, the Israelites had been waiting for centuries of time. The song that was just sung, Emmanuel, Oh, come, rescue Israel. There had been this desire, this anticipation, this waiting that had gone on for generations. And, and particularly in, in the time that we're reading here into now of the scripture, for 400 years, the prophets had been silent. And so there was this quietness and this waiting and this patience. What were they waiting? Why were they waiting? Why were they expectant? Those who were spiritually attuned to what was taking place. I want to walk you through just a few of these today here this morning very quickly. If we look into the scripture, we find various prophecies which are fulfilled by Jesus and his birth. The first one we have is that he's going to be a descendant of Abraham and that somehow this descendant would bless all people. We find this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where it said, I will bless those who bless you, God's saying, and whoever curses you, I will curse you. He's saying this to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Everyone's going to be blessed through something that's happening through your lineage, through your Everyone's going to be blessed. Not just there's going to be a moment. Everyone will be blessed somehow on earth. This is why when we go into Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, he begins this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's a fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus is going to be that individual that is going to be born through Abraham's line that's going to bless all people. He's the only one that fits that. The next statement that comes into play prophetically is that the Messiah is going to be coming from David's own household or his branch. In Jeremiah 23, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he'll be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. David um, also operates in 89 uh, and, and is saying, you said, God, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn David, 
my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne through all generations. So there's going to be a king that's going to arise, someone who will bless everyone who's through the line of Abraham, who also is going to be linked to David as well, and he's going to be in a type of authority or a king. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, we see fulfillment. He says, you'll conceive and give birth to a son, the angel says, and you're to call him Jesus, and he'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High, Son of God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Kings rise and fall. We, we elect presidents every four years or eight years maybe or so on times. They, they die, they drop off. But this is some authority, some king who's going to come through the line of David whose roots are in, in, in Abraham, whose reign will never end and go on forever. This is just... Stunning stuff as we look into it. Now, as you go on even further in the, in the scripture, the next thing that we pop again is going to be that there is going to be born of a virgin. Therefore, in Isaiah chapter 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That's never happened. <laughs> it's never going to happen ever again. This is 700 years before Jesus is born. Isaiah gives this prophecy. And then Gabriel tells Mary that she's going to give birth. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and says to Joseph then as well, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So first Gabriel tells Mary what's taking place. And then he has to go and talk to, to, to Joseph because Joseph, upon hearing this, is sitting going, yeah, right. That doesn't work that way. Now, we're engaged, which means by technical means we're married, but we're not supposed to have relations or actually live that way until we're actually married. And, and, and that's finalized in the ceremony, but it's a type of marriage already, engagement, commitment. So he says, I'm going to divorce her. I'm going to set her aside. He doesn't want to embarrass her, but he's not going to participate in this and raise somebody else's kid. And so the angel shows up to Joseph. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give him birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. A lot of discussion right now about unexpected pregnancies and what should be done about that. It's a good thing certain choices weren't made in this case. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive, going back to Isaiah, give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Three prophecies so far that we see fulfilled. There's a fourth one. That not only was it going to be from Abraham, a linkage that would bless everyone, pretty unique. Not only a king that has no ending, very unique. Not only born of a virgin, like totally unique. Now we go to a fourth one that there's a specificity, specificity of where he's going to be born. It's going to be in Bethlehem. And it's Micah, an Old Testament prophet who comes along in, in this fifth chapter and says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel. And this line always chills me. It's just this echo of trumpets in the distance and, and something profound about this. It's not just anyone, but this person, is their origins are from of old. 
from ancient times. So not only from Abraham to bless everyone, not only from the line of David as a king that never ends, not only in the town of Bethlehem specified, not only from a virgin, but whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. There's, there's something, and we know of course with Jesus that he is God himself, so there is no ending. And so when we read in Luke chapter 2, verses 4 and 7, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of, of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time had come for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there's no guest room available for them. And so now we see this fourth one being fulfilled. It doesn't stop there. There's a fifth one. To be clear, there's over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfills and is fulfilled in the birth of Christ. We're only touching on five of them today. We can go over all 300 if you want. We'll stop. This last one has particular impact, especially for us today. Because it's Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. It talks that there's going to be a loss of children's lives. They'll be centered around the birth of Messiah. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After first service, I had one of our people come up to me and was weeping a bit and just saying, the Oxford situation is very close. Family members of ours attend that school. Jake's brother is a uh, teacher at that school. Um, there's principals that attend our church here who are not from that school but have had to deal with this issue in this last week because there's been a, 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 a rash of, of copycat uh, threatenings and things of this nature. And we see the sadness that is poured out of Oxford and it affects us as well too because this is our community. This is our community. And so it's brought home to us in a way that it really has not been brought home to before. The innocence and the loss of life the weeping of children lost. There's nothing more profound than that. There have been several funerals I've had to perform in this place of young people of ours that have been lost. And they've always been the most intense, powerful, emotional moments that I think I've ever experienced in ministry. We read of this prophecy and we find it fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2. When Herod realized that they had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gives orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he learned from the Magi. So he learns this, he realizes it's a two-year span and so to be very thorough, he gets rid of all of them. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, to be clear, these are just a few of the prophecies. These are only just five of those prophecies. We could go even up to eight. I want to spare us the time here today. But there was a study that was done not too long ago that I've referenced before. Mathematics and astronomy professor Peter W. Stoner once calculated the chance of eight of these prophecies. We just covered four, five of them. But eight of them being fulfilled as one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a lot of zeros. 
Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies, we know. But Stoner illustrated the chances this way for just of these eight being fulfilled. Just eight prophecies. He says, suppose all of Texas was covered with two feet of silver coins. And one of those coins was marked with a red dot. Then a blindfolded man is dropped off and told to walk wherever he wants, but he must pick up the right coin on the very first try. Two feet of coins. Walk around the whole state of Texas. Dallas, Houston, Austin, El Paso, Alba, all of them. Just go through them all. Then he has to go down and pick up one of them. The chance of him picking up the correct coin would be the same as the one of one man fulfilling just eight of the prophecies of the 300 Jesus fulfills 300. Texas is buried as far as coins are concerned. Why would someone not believe in Christ, would not believe when the evidence is so overwhelming? What does it mean, as we come back now to Simeon for a moment here, what does it mean to um, be expectant to be expectant is to look forward to or waiting for something, awaiting the birth of a child or an expectant mother. We talk about that. What's an example of expectant? If someone's expectant, they are excited because they think something interesting is about to happen. An expectant crowd gathered. There was an expectant look on their face. Are we getting bonuses this year? How big are they going to be? There's something awaiting in the process. It's the act or state of expecting or looking forward to an event that is about to happen, that is being looked forward to. And so Simeon has been waiting for decades. Somewhere he was told that he's going to not die before he sees Messiah. And so there's a baby dedication. Now, I don't know. Maybe Simeon just hung out at every baby dedication that took place for decades. Can you imagine that? Who's the weird guy in the corner? I don't know, but he always shows up for these baby dedications. He just hangs out. He's a little weird, you know. Just kind of stares for a while and then walks away and goes on. But this time it's different. But imagine, though, for decades you're waiting decades of waiting and expectant. And time after time, you come to dedication after dedication, and I sit here and nothing rings. It's just, you know, cute baby, but that one's an ugly one actually, but that one's cute and doesn't matter. It's not the one. And it goes home and leaves. But this time there's something different. Mary and Joseph bring this baby into the temple and the priest is there with them, and, and they dedicate this child to God. And suddenly something happens. I don't know if it's a sudden light that shines on Simeon or on the baby, or if there's bells ringing or an angel whispering in his ear, or there's just such a, a, an absolute certainty, this is the one. After decades of waiting and not seeing anything fulfilled, but now suddenly there, in that moment, it's happened, finally. What he must have felt must have been absolutely enrapturing and incredible. And so then he comes up, and imagine Mary sitting here going, who's this guy coming up right now? Maybe he's one of the priests. He wants my baby. Okay, we take the baby. He takes the baby. Imagine that. Next week we have a baby dedication. I think we have one right next week, don't we? Yeah, I know. It's right over there. So we come on here, we're going to have the baby dedication. In the middle, some guy walks up there and grabs the baby and goes, Ooh! you know, we'd all kind of go, mm, what's going on here? I've got to find a friend to do that next week just for fun. I've just, I got to do that. Somebody nobody else knows and really old and everyone's going to go. Ugh. 
but he raises up the child. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you've promised. I have seen your salvation, which I've waited for so long. And you've prepared for all people this blessing through Abraham, a king whose reign will never end, born of a virgin in a town that nobody was paying attention to in Bethlehem. He's going to rescue people from their sin. He's a light to reveal God to all nations. Then he turns to the mom and he says, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall. All the self-righteous, all the spiritual elite as they saw themselves to be. But many others to rise. The ones who thought, there's no way that God wants me. There's no way they'd ever turn his face towards me again. He'll cause them to rise. He's been sent by a sign from God and many though are going to oppose him. And then he turns to Mary in prophetic words. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Our relationship to God and the scripture reveals our own hearts and our own nature. And he says to Mary, and a, a sword is going to pierce your own soul, Mary. And then he steps back. Years of waiting, decades of expectation. We don't know what it is to wait anymore. We don't know what it is to be expectant. And especially in this season of time where everything rushes and pushes us so fast that we're rushing to celebrate one day. There used to be something in the church called Advent, which means appearing. And it's an ancient tradition within the church. And the idea would be that for weeks before Christmas, like now, People would be waiting and expectant towards Christmas. That there'd be a time of fasting and praying and preparation. That we'd get like the spirit of Simeon upon us. And we'd just be waiting. And so we're not just, we're not cheapening the day. We're actually expanding it from one day to weeks before. And usually a week or two afterwards until the coming of the Magi, according to the scriptures, would be in place. And so we take that one day that we all just go crazy on and, and fatten ourselves up so much. And instead, in this tradition, it's prepared for weeks beforehand, beginning now. That we begin to meditate. We begin to slow down. We begin a process to make this experience not a one-day event, but a multi-week process that then reaches its crescendo on the 25th. That waiting is part of the process. It deepens something in us. Day after day, month after month, year after year, Simeon waited and he watched. And something worked within him while that was happening. There's a sword that I have in my office, an actual sword from a time back that my father brought back from the war. And I've always been fascinated with some of these, and I don't touch on this long here today, but one of the things in forging a sword, I know, is not only the heat and the pounding, but what's really important is the cooling down period. It's critical. If it's done too fast, microfractures will occur, and it doesn't make the sword effective. And so to do this, you start first with a quenching bath that the metal's placed into suddenly. And then there's a constant temperature bath that, that mediates the temperature uniform throughout, and then it's allowed to cool slowly in the air into room temperature. This is to make sure that the metal's structural strength is uniform throughout it. Is it possible that that we also, as modern individuals in a racing world, need to go through cooling down periods and that this could be one of those? 
that as we quiet ourselves, as we slow ourselves, as we let God works into us something in this time of waiting and meditating that can draw us into something much deeper and more profound than we would have ever imagined with just the rush of the holiday. There's a lot of things that we can be waiting for and be called to wait for. And in any and all of those, God can work something in us to shape us, strengthen us, and deepen us. But this morning hour, this time period, I want to ask you to consider something radical. That you, that you step back. I know you still need to get your stuff. And I know that there's ways to get it in lines and all that's involved. But could we begin today to let a spirit of Simeon come upon us and begin looking expectant towards Christmas that we're celebrating it now in our heart and mind, in prayer and meditation, in preparation, that when that moment comes on the, 5th, on the 25th, that it's not just a secular spendathon, that we don't mark down just that day but instead that we begin now to enter into a process of expectancy and of waiting and of meditating and of processing, maybe even reviewing some of these old prophecies, maybe looking into the scripture so that when this day comes on the 25th, it's an explosion of joy, an explosion of, of, of delight in a way that you haven't experienced since you were a child. Who knows? Maybe that childlike faith that is so powerful in its own right, is reignited even in that moment of time. John talks to us in 1 John. He says, we're already God's children, but he's not yet shown us what we'll be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he really is. And all of us, this eager expectation will keep ourselves pure just as he is pure. You see, here's the deal. Christmas, Advent has happened already. What Simeon processed has happened already. We can relive that and prepare it, but we're not really preparing for that. What we're doing is preparing for the celebration of that, what with the expectation beyond. Because as Christ came once, guess what? There's a part two. He's coming back again. And when he comes back again, any moment, any time, COVID's gone. Stock market's gone too, guys, okay? <laughs> Politics, gone. Racial separations, gone. Eczema, gone. <laughs> all the stuff that you have, a thousand things in your pharmaceutical thing, all gone. Christmas is about that second part. And so as we come up to the idea of Christmas and as we approach with Simeon, realizing that in the waiting and in the patience that we're being shaped and refined and defined even, and we make this not a one-day event, but we make this a multi-week event so that it comes on and it explodes into something of a moment of time. There's something deepened in us. But behind that, behind that is this eager expectation for that second coming that this first one already fulfilled by 300 prophecies that would cover the state of Texas in metal so high, so deep that nothing would ever get out again. This is where we lean to. And so 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. 
because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a light, or a lamp rather, shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ, the morning star, shines in your heart. This morning, as we prepare for communion, it is appropriate, weirdly enough as it may seem, as we consider the birth of Christ, to also consider his sacrifice and also then to consider that second coming. So this morning, as we're preparing for this, and, and, and if you're here and you're just exploring these things again and you're not in a relationship with Christ, let it pass you by. Don't worry about it. But if you've made a commitment to Christ, you do not need to be a, a member of this congregation. We have an open communion. The only thing we ask is that you hold the bread and the cup together, and it's together in one thing. The, the, the juice is the wine's on the top, and the, the, the bread is below. Try and be a little bit careful here. That we'll hold it, and we'll take of it together. But as we do this, I want you to meditate on the pace of your life in this season of time. I want you to meditate and consider making a commitment to not just that one day, but of the weeks of preparation and expectancy spiritually and what steps you will take in prayer and reading or just in quieting your spirit towards that end. So Father, this morning as we come before you, as we begin to prepare our hearts and make this not just a one-day event, but a multi-week expression of expectancy, of desire, of definition and refinement in our own lives so that we can approach the 25th not just with the gift that you've given to us but by offering back a bit of a gift of what you have worked in us in this season. We pray, Lord, that as we meditate on these things right now that you'd be present here in this time of communion that we gather together in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to confess to you, I, I like waiting as least as the next person. And I can find myself getting really wired sometimes when I'm so focused on what it is I'm waiting for and how long it's taking. And I have to stop at some point and step out of that. And that's what I'm suggesting we do in this season, that we stop, that we arrest ourselves. And that we step back into a point of expectant waiting and hearing what God wants to shape in and through our lives, how he wants to refine and maybe redefine us in this season. Approach this holiday, not like the 25th, but as a month-long process that just explodes on the 25th and then echoes for a few days afterwards. Not just one day where everyone's nice to each other and kind and smiles, but that we start to work something within our own spirit and soul that lasts way past this time period. Father, I thank you for your grace and for your provision. And Lord, I do lift up right now, not only the students of Oxford, but I lift up all of our high school students and junior students who are struggling with these processes, God. I lift up the administrators who are having to make decisions in difficult circumstances. We ask your blessing and anointing upon them. And then, Lord, we pray as we go into this season that nothing would steal the joy, that even in the midst of whatever sorrow and difficulty we find and the pain of our waiting, or even of loss that we have processed and experienced, that you would shape something within us that redefines us in the order of who you want us to be. So Lord, we look right now, we commit, we commit to making this a month-long celebration of your birth and our expectancy of your return. We commit these things into your hands in an agreement the church could say, 
good enough for me. God bless you guys.